HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Hi, I'm Harry Rosenblum from the Time for Lunch podcast. And one way that Heritage Radio Network has impacted me is it has given me the opportunity to sit down and talk with hundreds of people from all over the world and different cultures. And it is always eye-opening the things that I learn and get to share on Heritage Radio Network. HRN is home to transformative exchanges about food. We hope our diverse lineup of shows opens your eyes educates, and empowers. Join us during our summer membership drive by donating and becoming a member. Members play an essential role in keeping nonprofit food radio on the air. Go to heritageradionetwork.org donate to become a member today. Thank you for your support. Help the people who help Oaxaca. Since 2009, Seconda has been supporting Oaxaca's underserved communities. Almost 5,000 people annually see their lives improved by this Mexican NGO. They've built and stocked six green libraries and four rain harvest hygiene stations, benefiting around 800 children and youth. And they've provided training and business coaching for over 120 female entrepreneurs. And much of that work has been done with the recycler communities that have grown around the garbage dump sites in Zachila. All of that, really, is just the tip of an ever-growing iceberg. They've also supported legislation and implemented localized trainings designed to prevent sexual violence against girls and youth, eliminate child labor, forced labor, and violations of labor rights in Mexico's sugarcane and coffee sectors, and address the causes of gender inequality. And their small staff has done all of this without ever having offices of their own. For the past 13 years, Seconda has been hosted within the premises of a local bakery, a very kind gift from a very good corporation. But Seconda now needs their own home. They've acquired a plot of land and found an architectural firm, Sands Pond Architectura, willing to donate their time to develop plans. Now we need to raise the money to make those plans a reality. 
The cost of these new offices is around $100,000 U.S. They've received a matching grant from 818 Tequila that will cover half of that if we can raise the other $50,000. Seconda has done so much to help so many. We're asking you now to help Seconda. Help them build offices that will enable them to continue their existing work and to expand their programs that make Mexico more just and equitable. Make your fully tax-deductible contributions for Seconda at buildoaxaca.com. That's buildoaxaca.com. And thanks. I am Lou Bank. I am Chava Parivan. And this here is Agave Road Trip, the critically acclaimed award-winning podcast that helps Greek ex-bartenders better understand Agave, Agave Spirits, and rural Mexico. And today we're talking about something that happened upon us a few weeks ago, and I'm still trying to get over it. And I'm <laughs> actually annoyed at you, Lou, because you had been there before and you were not that impressed. You did not come to me screaming and patting and, and just being really out of your mind. Uh, well, okay, so I rarely am screaming and padding. Is that yeah, the word like you use? Padding, like if you were drowning and you're paddling. Hand. Okay, yeah, yeah paddling, I, I going yeah. out of my mind because that's just not how I am. But I did, in <laughs> fact, bring it up to you because I was fascinated by it. Really? Yeah. Well, maybe just so what's the it? Yeah. Well, uh, what, yeah, right. <laughs> Before we get into a, a deeper discussion, according to me, because uh, actually I might have my own version about this, has happened in the past. Uh, we went to Guanajuato. And we went to visit. We our went work. to where? Guanajuato. Oh, okay, yeah, no, yeah, that's no, right. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and we went to visit our friends in Hacienda Villasuso, correct? Did <laughs> yes, Mezcal Villasuso. Yeah, I sometimes I mispronounce that. And uh, as part of the lovely day we had, I ate some of the best escamoles in my life. I was dreaming about them last night, actually. Uh, and if you don't know what escamoles are, he said are, escamoles, incidentally, not Eskimos, in case anybody was worried. <laughs> yeah, and if you don't know what escamoles are, you have to check that. Are you opening chocolate in the middle of the podcast, Lou? Yeah, I need chocolate. Uh, Roy's gonna kill us. Anyway, so uh, we go to this hacienda, and you know, I visited a bunch of haciendas in my lifetime, and they tend to be dedicated to. You know, the making of sisal or agriculture or many things. But I have never been to an hacienda that, according to what they told us, at some point housed 65,000 humans and was dedicated to mezcal production starting in the 18th century, somewhere in the okay. 18th century. I'm just going to put a flag on that. I don't believe they said that that uh, building housed 65,000 people. I, was, I think I was, that's a great exaggeration. But it felt like 65,000 people. Uh, maybe <laughs> 6,500, maybe on a good day. But, you know, the, the thing that really was amazing to see, from, from my standpoint anyway, was in this building that, was this the portion from the 17 or the 1800s? Uh, which portion? The, the portion where the ovens were. Uh, that was the thing that was... Okay, so first let's describe what it was and then we'll try to figure out when was the time where that was uh, in operation because sure. I think a lot of us that, that have been in the Agave Spirits context, we when we start traveling to the place where they make these things, we encounter very little operations, like almost domestic operations, right? 
Oh, not even almost. Yeah, domestic. So like, the, like the, the biggest ones could still be in somebody's backyard usually. Correct, yeah. So it was houses connected to distilleries, to palenques, to vinatos, tabernas, whatever you like to call them. And we had, at least I personally, have never seen an old, uh, like something that was more than 100 years old. That Easily you, 100. Yes, that we could categorize this day as, as an industrial setup. Yeah, so it's so fascinating. I mean, they're, they're piece of it. I mean, this this hacienda um, had a, a bunch of extensions to it. So part of the building was built in the 1700s, part of it in the 1800s, I think a little bit of in the 1900s. I don't think there was any 1600s, but I could be wrong. I mean, this was a pretty significantly old building. And also it was, uh, as you were saying, it was a, sort of a puzzle. It was in very bad shape. It, and it, yet it, in it, really good shape in some ways. Yes, but it was falling apart. Like nobody's doing the, the proper restoration that this place needs. Hey, and when I'm 400 years old, if I should look so good, I'll be happy. Yeah, sure. Anyway, so yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, the thing there was that th something hit me when we're inside the, the part of the building that was dedicated to mezcal production that, that I had never thought about. Steam is a very old technology. <laughs> Steam is an old technology, yes. <laughs> you know, the, the first motors that, that the humans used to power their boats and their trains and so many things was steam, right? And, mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think like a lot of us think about steam in distillation, I'm not going to say like the enemy, but as a marker of something that is industrial and that it's newer. And here we saw these massive boilers. Like how big? Like I don't even. I don't even know. Oh, how wait, to... you're like you're fascinated with the boilers. I'm fascinated with the boilers. You know, I thought the boilers were beautiful, but for me, it was those giant ovens. Well, it was. It, it, that's the thing. You have a massive boiler and a massive kiln to throw all that agave inside. I cannot imagine the thousands of liters these guys were pumping out. What are you rating? Sorry, like it just struck me that I don't know when steam like technology. So I, I started googling for steam technology when it was invented, and there's an example from 1606 of a steam-powered water pump here. Yeah, but I think they were they got real into circulation in the early 1700s. Or, well, or, uh, but that, but that speaks to your point, right? Yes. So, yes. so <laughs> what? And so, what is your point? Well, my my, my point uh, is uh, that we uh, were in, in la hacienda de Jaral de, Ber de Berrio, and uh, they were even telling us this story that this kid had the monopoly of alcohol making in the region. This guy got the license to be the only one that was able to be making mezcal and to distribute it among the people around the area, and he had. To to have this massive capacity of making booze. Oh my God, those of I can't get over these ovens that are basically like giant chimneys, where they would wheel the agave up this ramp, using horses, of course, wheel it up this ramp to the second or what might even be the third story. And then just start loading them into this oven. But they were like these giant chimney cooking chimneys for agave that if you looked at them, I think there were, was it three or four that were lined up? If you had taken any one of them. Yes. <laughs> it would be, the capacity would be greater than any oven I have seen in literally any mezcal or tequila production. Yes. Yes. This was, this was, this was like visiting the 
the, the, the pyramids in Egypt. In a way, I, 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 it, I, get, it, I get like as a metaphor, right? Yes, but yes, for me, absolutely. it was kind of like going to a castle in England and where they've got the turrets on the side and the turrets, <laughs> well, like those whole turrets from, from ground <laughs> up to the right to the to the top, like those were the ovens. Yes. So, uh, like, uh, and this brings uh, a lot of. So why why do I think this is important, or what? Like, I don't know if we think this is important. I think it's important, but I I think that this makes uh this begs the point to re understand what we mean when we talk about traditional mezcal, because wh when does a tradition start? Fifty years, a hundred years, two hundred years, three hundred years, and even if you go and stretch this into three hundred years, they were making. A lot of mezcal a in an industrial setting closer to 300 years ago. Or at least 200. At least 200. That's still quite a bit. So, well, I'll tell you, you know, for me, the thing that it, 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 um, it brought to mind is, as I think about how tequila became so industrialized in order to fulfill the demand that was, you know, after they brought tequila to the 1893 World's Fair and everybody was like, oh, my God, I need this, right? And then tequila, that little community that was called tequila, suddenly had to expand into other communities so that now tequila is somehow five states as opposed to, like, I don't know. A town? Yeah. So, like, that and... Then the people making it had to start industrializing their processes. You know, here you had this process that was set up that was relatively what I would, I mean, I get that steam engines are in, in, in industry. Boilers, well, boilers. They're in this boilers. Case. Yeah, yeah. But when you look at how it was set up, it was still relatively pre-industrial and they had the capacity to fulfill the worldwide demand. If people had instead been looking for uh, a potasi instead of tequila, if they had like if that had been the mezcal that was brought to that world's fair, like I think we'd be looking at a completely different spirit. Oh, we'll be talking about Salmiana. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the other thing that I was tremendously impressed by Salmiana. We visit some uh, contemporary operations that are, honestly, I think that they are the inheritors of this tradition of these haciendas that we visit. And uh, Santa Teresa being one of them. And this was a 40 ABB expression that comes out of it, that it's extremely affordable and it's made with a hundred percent wild salmiana, and it's not how good it is. Mm -hmm. And it is the definition of an industrially made mezcal. And, and and it is, it has complexity, has beauty, has acidity, has sweetness, it has every buzzword you want to put around it. It, it deserves it. And, and and they do an añejo that is out of this world. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, like it just it just for me you know like again like I I I, I hate to be a one trick pony repeating this over and over again but you know I I hate for you to be too but go ahead no but it's 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 still so exciting to be finding el dorado over and over again in mezcal you know like I I, I just didn't had idea of the like all the elements that nourish the tradition in this area of Guanajuato San Luis Potosí. Yeah. Like I had no idea how how this was not just like a bunch of kids now jumping into the mezcal craze, but that they're actually the, the way they're articulating their craft 
is tremendously informed by the history of the area. Yeah, you know, I, I'm with you 100%, but I'd also add, I think it's equally as interesting when we go and visit somebody like uh, Tomas Navarre, right, in, in San Luis Potosí Centro. Who, who I, I don't remember. I'm sorry. You remember Tomas? He was making the whiskey. He's malting his oh, own corn. Oh Lord! Okay, right? yeah, yeah. So yeah. then you like, but then you've got this. So you've got this giant operation making, you know, quote unquote industrial mezcal. That I, I yeah, I don't know if they did they qualify as artisanal. I don't remember if they were certified artisanal who? or not. Santa uh, Teresa. Uh, yes, Santa Santa Teresa. Uh, I I don't believe they're even uh, they don't they're yeah they're not certified even, uh, they're certified yeah for sure yeah I'm not I'm not okay, sure anyway how they're, they're uh, but yeah. you know so you've got that on the one hand which is really cool to see right this old old operation making a ton of mezcal and then you've got this kid in his tiny little like <laughs> not even a warehouse I don't even know what you'd call the space and he's malting his own corn and making whiskey from it he's got these beautiful cacti and he's he's pulling the uh, the 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 tuna the, the the cactus prickly pear off of there and he's fermenting he in has this. a dunder pitch he has a dunder pitch <laughs> he's got his venasas that he uses to make uh, basically like starter he, um, he has some clay pots that he's experimenting with he's got yeah yeah he has a bunch of the uh, it, it's a mad scientist at work in the best of possible and ways. he's just a kid he's just a kid yeah not the way you use the word but the way i do and he's doing such cool stuff so you know i it, what is so what does all this mean you know I, i i for me what it means is uh god once you start driving out of the places everybody else's else goes and you start looking you find some remarkable stuff and also you have to give yourself the chance to rethink what you what what you've been told like uh, one characteristic of most of the spirits we tried there was being 40 abb and a bunch of the kids we know that will make them very nervous yeah so that's you also have to be willing to to rethink what what is quality, what is good taste, what is an acceptable mezcal in your own mind. Right. Yeah, I think it's really easy to fall into that trap where you've had 50 expressions from one place that reflect one idea and then when you taste something that doesn't reflect that idea instead of recognizing it's different, you identify it as wrong. In which case, you're the one who's wrong. Well, you're missing out. Yeah. Okay, I yeah, think anyways. that's a wrap, Java. <laughs> yes, we took way too long. Adios, señor Lu. Hasta pronto. This has been Agave Road Trip, the podcast that helps gringo bartenders learn about agave spirits. Your hosts are Lu Bank and Chava Periban. Sound engineering by Roy Sierra. Theme song performed by Gabriel Oliveira and Mark Rico. Sign up to become a road tripper and listen to more episodes at agaveroadtrip.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please let us know. And if you hated it, recommend it to your enemies. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Lou is in charge of our social media. So if he happens to sound like an old man, forgive him. He is one. Agave Road Trip is a production of 10 Angry Pitbulls, Inc. Agave Road Trip is powered by Simplecast. Thank you for listening to Heritage Radio Network. 
Heritage Radio Network is food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. To subscribe to the Heritage Radio Network newsletter, enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with Heritage Radio Network on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find Heritage Radio Network at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. Heritage Radio Network couldn't do that without support from listeners like you. Become a part of the food world's most innovative community today. Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the Heritage Radio Network family by becoming a member. To become a member of the Heritage Radio Network, click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Heritage Radio Network can become addictive. Programming you here on Heritage Radio Network can drive you to eat, drink, and listen to more programming on Heritage Radio Network. If it drives you to drink, please do not drink and drive. Drink responsibly, eat responsibly too, and listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly. To listen to Heritage Radio Network responsibly, wear protective earbuds. While wearing protective earbuds, do not drive or walk. Sit in a comfortable chair. If that comfortable chair has a hard seat, please remember to get up and stretch every 30 minutes. If you get up and stretch every 30 minutes, do not stretch beyond your abilities. Stay within your defined stretching capacity and consult a doctor who specializes in stretching. If you do not have a doctor, listen to all the shows on the Heritage Radio Network. There has to be at least one doctor among the Heritage Radio Network podcast hosts. Thanks for listening. Agave Road Trip out.